go. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Wipeout Podcast. My name is Fernandez, and each and every episode, it is my goal for you to level up your movement and your mindset in some form of practical way so that you can go and live your fittest, most fulfilled life. And today, the guest who's going to dive into things and help you do that is none other than Sean Wood. Now, Sean is a parkour athlete, a stuntman, and also the co-founder of Team Farrah, which is one of parkour's oldest and most well-known parkour teams and clothing brands. This episode was super, super interesting because Sean not only gives some really practical tools for how to begin parkour in a safe and effective manner as an adult, even when you haven't done crazy flips and stuff as a kid, but he also goes into the mindset and philosophy behind parkour that's really unique to this discipline. That's gonna help you with many more things, like building a relationship with fear in your life through your movement practice, connecting more deeply with your intuition and building out your purpose around a rigorous physical practice. This is a really cool and widely ranging conversation and it's a really beautiful blend of the physical and the mindset that only Sean Wood can bring. So I really hope you guys enjoy this one and without further ado, please welcome Sean Wood. Let's do it. First of all, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for coming around and uh, and jumping on the podcast. That's all right. Yeah, Yeah, I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Man, the first thing I kind of want to jump into was I wanted you to take me back a little bit, man, because your story is really interesting and mm. kind of I think unique as well in what you experienced in the kind of culture of parkour as it was evolving and it was coming up so yeah I'd love for you to kind of take me back and well first of all tell us a bit about yourself and then yeah how you kind of started getting into parkour yeah how far back do you want to go because oh, there's like so, there's like the far back <laughs> and then there's like the real far back <laughs> well, how did you first come across parkour um parkour I found in uh it would be the early 2000s at school um we were in an it class and it was it was before the youtubes were around and and everyone you know there was like this website daily motion and and a few other like uh you know viral download sites at the time and there was these videos that were going around in the early 2000s one was this team ryaku um and this friday night madness like gym video um and if anyone if you know, you know, like someone <laughs> might listen to say, I fucking know what you're talking about. And then, uh, early like David Bell videos right. and yeah. Yamikaze. And, you know, I was a young active Australian kid playing every sport under mm. the sun and was getting a little bit fed up with team sports because you could do really well and the team could suck or the other <laughs> way around and sort of gave up a little bit on team sports and saw these videos online, these viral videos and just instantly went like, I think I can do that. Mm. And so me and my best mate, Boris, um, started doing stupid stuff in the playground, like setting up bins and, and trying to clear as many bins as possible. And, you know, we spent a lot of time at the beach, so we'd go down and we were just trying to flip and learn all the things we were seeing in the videos. Um, and then I jumped online and found a forum. Um, you know, this was back in the days where everyone communicated through online forums. And days, yeah, 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 and I found this site called Blue Revolution, which was the Sydney parkour community. And then I started skipping school and going down there instead and met up with those guys. And I guess that was my introduction to parkour. And now, like 18 years later, I just never really stopped. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, just started to get a bit better and better and better and found a lot that resonated with me within the practice. and. Yeah, like I've been training parkour now for 18 years. That's hectic, man. Yeah. 
And like, I'm, the more people I interview, the more I start to notice this kind of, this, I want to say obsession, obsession without the kind of negative connotation, you know what mm. I mean? Like a real engrossment in what you're doing in terms of the sport and just really getting obsessed with it. Like, mm. was that something that came really naturally to you? Is that something you've always had that kind of drive to get into something and learn it and grab it by the horns or mm. was it specifically parkour? Um, I, I would say, yes, I, I did have a bit of, you know, obsessive nature as a kid. Yeah. Like I went through many sagas of my, my development of, you know, obviously my first love was like soccer and I, you know, yeah. I never wanted to be, you know, I never wanted just to play community soccer. I wanted to play for Manchester United, you right. know? Yeah. And then I got really into esports before it was esports and Counter-Strike was my game and I wanted right. to be a pro Counter-Strike player. Um, and then, and I always did quite well at these things as well. Like mm. I, I, I guess I, I had a version of like natural athletic talent when I was younger and enough to give me a advantage of some dis- description, not enough to become a pro at those things, but there was a lot, you know, that, that I didn't have the influence around me to know how to go down those paths. And, mm. and, um, and so when I found parkour, the sport was so uh, at its infancy that there was not really a pathway at all. And I think one of the things that really resonate or really excited me about it was that it was new and there wasn't a pathway. So I saw the opportunity quite early on for it to become whatever we wanted it to be. And so I I do think that, um, yes, there was an obsessive nature to me as a child in my development years with things like this. I don't know how much of it at the time was coming from like the most healthy place. Mm. I think there was, you know, a, a, a story that I sometimes talk about was sort of the, the curse of, of um, my first year in soccer. And the curse was that we at like, you know, the age of eight or nine, whatever my first year was, my team and I went undefeated and then won the grand final. Right. And so it took me many years to learn how to lose. And, yeah, interesting. you know, so there was a lot of parts of this obsessive nature that used to make me quite, you know, I was competitive as hell and to my own detriment a lot of the time. Mm. And so it was a big part of the journey was, was, and I think parkour helped bring this to me or helped me learn these things is that like, as much as I'm okay with competition, it's not like the only reason you do things, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like there's yeah. an enjoyment out of practice and usually the enjoyment is the practice. Mm. Um, and you know, for a period of time when I was a bit younger, I thought you had to win and that was the only metric to measure success yeah. on. Um, so I think that's been a big part of the journey with parkour for me. Uh, and to the point now where I'm sort of over the other side you know, I kind of went, I did compete in parkour for a few years and I did okay. I didn't do great. And that was okay. Um, and now I'm kind of on the other side where competition, like I may, I do community comps and stuff sometimes for fun, but I'm not a competitive athlete anymore. And I enjoy the practice the most I ever have, you know? So it's been this, this journey through parkour that's helped me learn those things, which I think is a big takeaway for life and helps me navigate through life in a in a very healthy way compared to, you know, maybe when I was 17. Yeah, hundred percent. And I feel like those lessons that you can take from a practice, any kind of physical practice or really any practice mm. that you're able to apply in your life 
you're only able to do that when you are dedicated to something for a very, very long time. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think it really, it shows that dedication when you're like, you've got to come up against this thing again and again and again and mm. again, and then you end up having to kind of choose, am I going to continue to let this drive for competition rule my parkour practice? And mm. I'm, I might be getting motivated and I might be getting better, but I might also be suffering internally for that as well. Mm. It's really only those kind of repeated exposure to the same thing. It's going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to fucking try and learn this lesson now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, I think you're right. Like, um, if I reflect, you know, and I haven't, don't know if I've really thought about it so specifically like this, but probably since I was 15, the biggest constant in my life has been parkour. Mm. And I don't know how much of that was intentional. It was kind of like, you know, I found it, I, I loved it. And I just never left it. And mm. then there's probably something bigger there that's, you know, quite profound. But you, parkour does have a, a pretty deep-rooted philosophy um, that's sort of around to being strong to be useful and mm. efficiency and, and, and being, uh, you know, the best possible, strongest person that you can be. Mm. You know, it has all the... It's, it's deeply rooted in, in these great philosophies and... I think that it was also my community. A lot of my closest friends are parkour. And I know that I have definitely leaned on parkour in many hard times in my life, or at least mm. the lessons that I've had through it to help me through those things. And so it was the thing that I kept coming back to and it was certainty for me. Even, mm. you know, we can talk about this in a bit, but I had a motorbike accident when I was 27 and and you know people and it was it was quite significant damage taken to my body and my fear was only for a very short amount of time because of what one thing a physio said to me about my arm there there was a slight fear i wouldn't be able to do it anymore but there wasn't because i knew my body so well mm. and so i grounded myself in my healing through the physical first which was parkour so i came back to that I got my body well again, which allowed room for some of the emotional and mental stuff that I needed to go through. So it was like parkour's my grounding mm. and a lot of other things that I've grown into in my life, whether it be movement practice or at one point marketing and now stunts, it's like I've had that, that root, that tree that's grounded in the ground, which has been parkour for me and everything else always comes from that as my place, even mm. my perspectives on joy and creativity and filmmaking and all these things I have interest in. And I would say create me and my identity as a person, they all come from this love of parkour yeah. in a different way. And I think we can all find those things in our life. And when we all reflect, like you said, through your interviews, you, you're seeing these long-term commitment to things and how it helps people grow. I don't think this is unique to parkour. Mm. I think this is unique to many physical practices, many, many creative practices, whether it be music, art, anything you talk about, calisthenics, whatever you choose. If you go in without having this sort of like absolutist mindset and tell everyone else they're wrong about it, there's always, it's, it's your grounding and, and so much more can come from that practice than, mm. than just the thing that you're doing. And I don't, I don't want to live a life where like, I, I just have parkour and that's it. Yeah. You know, I think that's actually can be unhealthy for people. It usually results yeah. in burnout. It usually results in 
a lot of the people I've experienced in my life that were so absolutist and purist and this is parkour and that, like they've, they've disappeared 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, like these guys used to hate me at the jam and make fun of me because I did this and that. And then they're, they're where are they now? You yeah, know, like, you know, this absolutist mindset. I mean, I think it's right in some things. If you're a doctor, I want you to be in a surgeon. I want you to be pretty absolutist <laughs> yeah. about that. But like, um, if you're like an, an, a parkour athlete and it's the only thing that you do, it's going to lead to a pathway and that person might become the world champion. But a lot of my circle and my friends had a bit more of a like lifestyle feel of it. And mm. they're some of the most creative people I know. Yeah. And I think this is where you're really getting into like the kind of athlete artist crossover. Yeah. yeah crossover yeah. Because there is obviously this, this incredible athletic endeavor yeah. of parkour, but at the same time, what you're talking about allowing the kind of artistry to bleed into other areas of your life. I'm actually really glad you, when talk about this, like yeah. I love your answer, and I think that one of the things I've seen that you do, and what made me interested in speaking to you, was I'm trying to help people find that thing at the center, yeah, that, that passion at the center that's going to over physical practice is going to bleed out into other areas of their life, yeah, and you've been able to take that into your stunt work and, like I said, the marketing stuff, and which we'll go into in a little bit, and all yeah. the different your philosophy and all the different things that you've been doing with your life has had that as the center yeah. as this kind of central practice. Mm. And I just think it's so, so, so important that people find more and more of that kind of thing and are exposed to enough things so that they can find that bedrock on top of which they can build all the different things. Yeah. I, I, I think that's awesome. And I, I have seen, you know, a lot of what you're doing and I love how you're constantly trying to make that connection between what could be just a rigid physical practice and bringing the mm. beauty of it. And, and, you know, and I saw you on your guitar today and, yeah, and yeah. like all these things. And, and it, I, I guess it, a lot of it comes down to your value system and what's in, important to you. But, um, you know, I, I don't know how familiar you are with like Robert Greene's work, you know, 48 Laws of Power and Mastery, but I actually resonate a lot with his story and I, it's always better in hindsight, you know, and this could be a nice takeaway for anyone that's listening to this, but I resonate a lot with Robert Greene's story mm. about how he became a, a writer and, you know, he's one of the most prolific uh, uh, authors of, of like, you know, the last 20 years yeah. and he's written a body of work that's going to be studied and, and, and taught in any sort of, you know, practice of learning or self betterment for many mm. years. And he didn't actually get his start as a writer until he was in his like late forties or fifties. And oh, really? he, he traveled the world being almost like a, a, um, I wouldn't say a nomad, but like sort of he was soul searching, you know, he mm. knew at his core that he wanted to be a writer, but he, he tells the story about how he actually worked almost every profession possible. He was a cleaner, he was a bus driver, he was a book clerk, he was a cook, a, a cook, a, 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 you know, anything, name the job, Robert Greene's probably done it, right? Yeah. And he's one of his first big pieces that sort of blew him up was, um, was 48 Laws of Power. Mm. And you know, he got that opportunity because he ended up being a book clerk or a secondhand study for a, a guy that owned a, a publishing company. And he told him his story and told him this idea for 48 Laws of Power. And the guy said, I'll, I will give you this amount of money and I will guarantee this book will go to print. You've got like two years to write it. And then Robert's journey of, 
you know, searching, soul searching to become a writer mm. became the content for the book that made him famous. Yeah. And without that, that without that journey, without those 50 to 100 professions that he had, because that book's about human psychology, it's like this deep study of all the personality types, the archetypes. Um, it's, it's about power at it and it's mm. about the different types of power, narcissism, Machiavellianism, like yeah. the golden triad, like talks about all these things, but it was only his deep study of people in power through all these professions that allowed him to write that book. Mm. And so in my own life, I, I've definitely felt that I've, I've, I've had this grounding within parkour, but within that it's looked so many different ways. I, I started as like this parkour athlete, then I wanted to compete and I did that for a little while and you know, that was fun. And then I started a company you know, because of my interest, early interest in film. When I started parkour, I also picked up a camera straight away. And so I was always filming my practice. And so, you know, I also wanted to travel and, and so parkour wanted to compete, then met a friend in Thailand, wanted to travel. So I went there and then we started making videos together. Um, and to, to fund that, we started a clothing company, but, and then from the clothing company, you know, we were able to market it because of, we were the athletes, we were mm. the designers, we were the video makers. And then I came home and I had these marketing skills that I'd done from the parkour yeah, stuff. And, and so like all these things had built all these things that made no, almost no sense whatsoever and, and kind of no connection whatsoever at the root of it was this physical practice they've all like created who i am today and i like who i am and i wouldn't change that yeah, um and now i've sort of found my 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 eventual goal into film and television through stunts which is kind of where i wanted to be all along but that's a whole mm. journey of its own of self-worth and not believing that i could and all these things yeah, that i had to go through but then once again my i have an interest in film i have an interest in you know, um, uh, production. I have an interest in movement. I've had all these things. Once again, have come to this final package of being a stuntman. Yeah. Which, if you really look at it, a stuntman is the ultimate generalist. You know, yeah, no shit. Yeah. a stuntman needs to yeah. be good at everything, True. but yeah. but the best at nothing. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and so like that's kind of how I lived my life. Yeah. Is collecting all these skills and all these different things, and eventually I've ended up with what I would have done when I was 20, if I hadn't, if, if I had the confidence at 20, I would have done it, mm. but I had to go and do all these other things to end up with what I wanted in the end. That's super interesting, man. Yeah. I, I feel like that story, there's so many more people I want to dig into as well, but that yeah. story I think is going to give a lot of people listening permission as well to not have these preconceived linear paths about like, I have to know exactly when they're getting told when we're 18 that we have to know exactly what the fuck we want to go and study and then go and do and just yeah. linear career path straight out mm. of school and stuff like that if you can build it around like living your truest as cliche as that sounds yeah like living your truest self but really dedicating yourself to the practice as well and going and doing the things that you're interested in and developing the strengths that only you can develop mm. because nobody else is going to be as addicted to that weird intersection between like physical practice and doing flips and relationship of fear of throwing your body around camera work yeah, marketing, yeah yeah it sets you up to be so much more of a uniquely valuable offering to the world and whatever you choose to do you know yeah. what i mean whether you choose to go into marketing stuff or stuntman stuff so yeah yeah i really just think that that is such a powerful take-home message as well for people just to be able to follow their own 
interests and if you're really dedicated to that you're going to be able to position yourself in quite unique ways yeah it, it's i it's it's a tough one because i, I imagine in, there's there's some people that may be listening to this that also you know that i would never take away the fact that there's very real life things that sure. that they you know someone listening to this might have a kid or mm. or or a partner and, and different i've i've lived an exceptional life in this sense of um, I've had the opportunity through, you know, parents that just allowed me to, to be myself from a young age and, you know, um, I mean, it's all privilege, but they weren't like, it wasn't that my parents were super wealthy or, or anything like that. But I think what I saw early long, early on was this like, um, maybe the, the, the path I read a book when I was, uh, 18 called Vagabonding by a guy named Rolf Potts yeah. and, it was the first book I ever finished and uh, he's actually just released the second sort of meditation oh, to Vagabonding last oh. week and, and I'm loving it. But I would say that I earlier on was able to understand that long-term travel, which is something I wanted to do, didn't have to be at the cost of or like really expensive. And if you mm. sort of held a certain posture and lived a certain way, like I didn't live, I'd, I've slept on rooftops in Asia on hammocks. I've like... I've really done it like, you know, like a dirt bag. Um, but I, I felt this calling called a adventure in a certain way. And I followed that. Mm. Um, and so if someone's listening, like I've got all these things, like go and read Vagabonding. It might help you free yourself from that. But I think that, um, what, yeah, what was the sort of the, the question or there wasn't a question, but it was like, I guess, giving people the permission mm. to to do these things what i will say is that um i believe that we we all kind of intuitively know and this is something i like to talk a lot about and we can go down is like intuitions become a big part of my life and it's like mm. we kind of all know intuitively what it is we want to be doing um and it doesn't have to be career it doesn't have to be you know, like being a stunt man, it could be mm. like, it could be knitting. It could be like these things that make us feel authentic to ourselves. Mm. Right. And I've found in my life over and over again, that the more I sway from them and the further I get away from what I feel is authentic to me, that a lot of things in my life just start falling into part and falling a bit yeah. the bits, you know? And, you know, it was not a linear path. None of this has been a linear path. You know, I've had a lot of chaos within this. It's been a yeah. journey. There's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of things that didn't go right. Yeah. You know, it sounds from the start of this podcast, it's just like this great journey <laughs> to ending up a stunt man. Like it yeah. absolutely wasn't. But what I've, I've now found is eventually realized is that, you know, and it's taken me 30, 30 years to find this, but like I've found my purpose now and mm. I'm able to communicate that. So that's a big thing is, is, is truly understanding what your purpose is. And a lot of that, a lot of time gets misconstrued with, with dreams and goals, mm -hmm. you know, and I believe there's a big difference between a purpose and your dreams and your goals. What do you feel like the difference is? I feel that uh, a p purpose is something, it's like a, it's like a, a layer or a filter or, or something you can run 
all or mo- yeah all of the choices you make in your life through mm. so um you know like a dream of mine was to be a stuntman mm. um but i can't make decisions based on that that and always oh, get nice. an answer from that but my purpose in life is to to have mastery over my body being mentally emotionally and spiritually and orient myself towards joy mm. um and so and there's an intrinsic version of that which is my life right now i'm 33 right now i'm still living for my dreams and things that mm. i you know internally want to succeed and there's a, a late there's a there's a sort of not very rigid ambiguous turning point where i want that to shift into a uh the same purpose but for giving back nice. so um you know for me with with say teaching at tmc right now with the movement classes it's like mastery over my body physically it brings me joy yes i can do it yeah um stunts once again it was a career option it brings me joy it's physical there's also you know emotionally spirit uh, mentally emotionally spiritual it's a dream yes i can do it marketing for me right now which was something that I was doing and I didn't really have my purpose worked out. As soon as I realized that purpose, it it fell off very quickly Mm. because I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I was doing it for money. I was doing it to hit this arbitrary goal of, of how much money I thought I could make. And it doesn't actually fit within, within my purpose. And, and so I was very quickly able to shift away from that because I'm like, it's actually not aligned with, with, you know, who I, who I want to be. Um, and so, yeah, there's that intrinsic, like right now I'm still sort of chasing some dreams, which I can be a part of purpose yeah. and within my sort of framework. Um, and then, yeah, like, uh, during this period of time, you know, I, I really like some of the, the work, the teachings and, and meth- methodology around this guy, Paul check. Mm. Um, I'd love to do like his HLC one, two, and three, mm. um, maybe some psychology sort of degree stuff at some point and, you know, be working in stunts for a good 10 years or so, which will be a nice sort of whatever joint there's that I could go into maybe directing or something there. Like that's mm. another dream, but if not, I'd be happy to retire from stunts and, and, you know, be a holistic life coach or something like yeah, that. You know? yeah. So that's where the shift will come yeah oh yeah that's just, i didn't expect this to go in this direction but i'm really yeah. glad you're talking about this stuff this is really cool and i'd love to know like what was the it sounds like this kind of being able to clearly articulate this purpose is something that's happened in the last kind of few years like, yeah what if any practices or uh you know methods or realizations led to you being able to clearly articulate this and how do you kind of arrive at that point um i think a lot of epic people in my life um going down similar avenues that you're going down right now like mm, cool. john marsh was a big influence for nice, me shout out. Yeah. um creator club uh highly recommend anyone that's kind of on any sort of journey of trying to build a business within the health and wellness space or, or anything that's close enough to that. Like yeah. if you're looking for a mentor, like John Marsh is the guy and Can Ruby as well. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that, um, I've, I've always sort of been the type of person to be asking myself deep questions. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so I've always kind of on that journey. Um, I did for a long time, uh, 
not know my purpose or even mm. know that I needed one. What's got me here was things like my motorbike accident, near-death experience, um, and then hitting a lot of walls of like, you know, being on this, you know, journey through life and being very, feeling like I'm very close to achieving certain things, but then, you know, self-sabotage, like all these mm. things, you know, like all these things that we all go through, um, you know, having this narrative of being my own worst enemy, like, uh, everything, this always happens to me. It was like all these things that we all go through over and over again. And then just a deep dive, you know, a lot of good mentors, bad mentors, um, but always trying to orient myself in, in, for lack of a better term, I hate the term, but self-improvement. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then starting to, in the last couple of years, learn, maybe I'd just taken in enough inf information, but learn that <laughs> really all I'm trying to do in life is, <laughs> you know, I had this feeling recently that like, that I've, I've finally come home and, um, and I'm my biggest realization, which is what now I'm being guided through my own intuition, which was a big part of the process is that I'm just trying to be who, like, I just am trying to find my, my childlike nature again. Yeah, and, you know, I'm really just trying to orient myself to what I was when I was a kid mm -hmm. in the playful nature of the world, the curiosity, the joy, you know, and, and so through all of these pathways that I've spoken about, you know, I've learned to trust my gut, my intuition, mm. and that's where a lot of my answers are coming from. Yeah. You know, um, and that's, that's how I found purpose. It wasn't some big process of, of right, re reading the right book or yeah. listening to the right person. It was like, knowing through certain teachers like purpose is super important mm -hmm. and then just really sitting with myself and feeling into what that means to me mm. and and that's landed me here you know yeah dude no it's 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 so true sometimes it can be like oh we'll just go and do these three journaling exercises and then yeah. you'll just come up with it it's like yeah the way one of the ways i like to think about it and it sounds like it's exactly kind of what you've done as well is like if you, I think about like having a giant, huge fucking piece of stone. Yeah. You know what I mean? And somewhere on the inside is what this purpose of looks like. Yeah. It's what this, this calling looks like. And you just got to start fucking chiseling away. Yeah. Even if you have no idea what it's going to look like, you just got to start chiseling away. And as you keep going, bits are going to fall off in different places. Yeah. Things are going to happen. And it's going to start to take shape overall. Mm. And only after you're maybe even years into that process does it start to really appear like, okay, this is actually what I'm creating here. Yeah. But you can't always, some people feel like they are born with this, but yeah. certainly not in my experience. I definitely just went through a period of like, okay, I have to fucking start. Yeah. And then just start chiseling away. Yeah. And then the closer and closer you get to it, it's okay if it's not a completely full form thing, mm. but you're making more and more fine little chisels and you yeah. know the basic bones of what it is. Yeah. And I think for people listening, if they're like, okay, I feel like I, that all sounds really nice, but I don't have my purpose and all of these things. You know, I, I used to self-identify as a person that had no purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think just starting to 
sit with these questions, ask yourself these questions, sit in the discomfort of not having a neatly wrapped answer and being okay for it to be a journey, being okay for it to change. Yeah. I think it's an amazing place to start. Yeah. And I have a lot of empathy for, for, for people, like a lot of people out there. It's like, I know there's a lot of people that are going through a lot of tough things and, um, and I know that sometimes it can be, you know, these types of conversations don't give a lot of answers and I, mm. I don't want to pretend that I, I have any answers or I have anything that, that like I can just teach people, I can just share, share my journey and, and what's worked for me. Um, and I know that a lot of society tells us these days that is that you know, if you work harder or you hustle harder or you, mm. you do all these things or you buy this course, like there's so many people that are saying that I have the answer. Mm-hmm. And so for people that are struggling a lot of time, it, it can feel like a bottomless pit, you know, yeah. because they pay, they buy this course and they spend this money and they listen to this peop- these people over and over again. And they just like, they're still in the same place. They're still having the same problems. And I've been through all of that as well. Um, and what I've learned, you know, and, and this is hard because the, the thing I can't quite articulate right now is like what, how someone that's really struggling can implement this. But like, I true, I do truly believe that like we, we, um, we, we, we have a lot of the answers ourselves, mm. you know, uh, and, and, and it does like the intuition, our body, our, our three brains, wherever it be, you know, the brain that we've been taught is where we think or our heart brain or our gut brain, mm. you know, they all exist. And a lot of the time it's like, how can we live a life? And this is, I don't believe this is like esoteric spiritual bullshit. This is like, <laughs> I, 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 I think, yeah, I think it's practical stuff. I yeah. had this crazy experience yesterday where I went to an acro class in the park. You were there, you oh, know, a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. I met this guy that day that like, I just wanted to talk to. He, mm. um, he stood out to me, his energy stood out to me. He was a bit of an older guy and he kind of stood out at the jam because you wouldn't expect for him to be there. And so mm. I just really had this call, like this, this feeling of like wanting to talk to him. I went over and I shook his hand asked him about himself he's from New Zealand like we had this great conversation well I went to an acro class two nights ago and and he was there Mm. and I couldn't remember his name you know um at first and and I was with with Jade um and I asked her like what was that guy's name and she's like oh I don't remember and I was like oh and I just sat there for a second and I just felt into it and I got Chris or Dan I was like, it's Chris or Dan. And that wasn't happening in my head. It wasn't my brain. I got out of my brain for a second. I went back to the feeling of beating him, shaking his hand. And I got Chris or Dan. So I sat there a bit longer. I went deeper into my gut. And after about a minute, I went, "Mm." and I got up, I walked over and said, it's good to see you again, Chris. It was Chris. And that was not going on up here. Mm. That wasn't uh, uh, recalling a memory from it because my memory couldn't remember. Yeah. My gut, my gut brain told me what his name was. Yeah. And so like, it is practical, you know, I, I, I like spiritual teachings. I like the spiritual sort of esoteric stuff, but I also like the materialist outlook on things as well. And, and, yeah. and but for me, it's pra- that's practical. 
you yeah, know so i just think going back to you know i get a, on a few tangents here and there but <laughs> i'm enjoying it and if that sounds as like i, I like you said it, it is practical but yeah. it is and yeah it sounds as direct to anybody listening like nobody would expect you to be able to you know teach somebody a rail flip precision or something yeah, like that yeah. in a single day yeah and the stuff that you're talking about like trusting your guard and you know listening to your intuition and, and following that kind of thing trusting yourself these are all skills in exactly the same way and they can be cultivated with practice and with internal practices just the same. So yeah, I think yeah. that if it doesn't feel natural to people, it certainly did not for me. Yeah. And I really resonate with what you're saying now, but mm. probably four years ago, I probably wouldn't have. Yeah. And it's only because of the lived experience and trying to practice it for so many years yeah. and it's starting to get better and it's starting to have incredible flow and effects in my life. I was like, really committed to it. Yeah. That's the only reason I'm able to be like, oh no, true, it is actually really worth staying dedicated to those practices yeah. and, and seeing that through. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. And, you know, it's, we, we've just, there's so much pressure and so many, there's so much information and so many avenues these days of, of people trying to, to tell us what what's truth it's it's you know um control what's truth uh yeah. influence what's truth and it's like you know we you know these phones and all these things that we have in our life right now if if we that they're all useful tools and it's all okay like it's it's no objective right or wrong with any of it you know it's like Quite often when we are manipulated, there's a willingness for some people to be, you know, like mm. in certain periods of my life, I wanted to sit down and watch the news and just, you know, find out what's going on. And sometimes I watch Netflix just to, you know, let it do what it does to me. Like there's no right or wrong with any of this, but if it's this journey of like trying to, to, to better yourself or, or live with less anxiety and it's like, it really come it does come down to some people hate the term but like personal responsibility yeah. you know it's like i have had so many periods in my life where i've been in total chaos and when bad things have happened to me at certain points i wanted to blame every other person in the world when i had my motorbike accident you know for a period of that i just wanted to blame everyone else but i had to reflect and i had to spend the time myself and could it have been avoided like absolutely and mm. the only person i had to blame at that time was myself no matter yeah. how chaotic it all was like when i really because it's like oh i'd love it, you to talk into what happened actually yeah well the know. easy thing to be would be like it wasn't my fault that i fell off right but it's like okay that's cool but why was I so absent-minded that night that I did fall off? Right. And so it's like, how far back do you want to dig? Yeah. You know, and at that time I was having problems with friends and, and that was partly my fault. And I was having a relationship breakup and that was part, that was big part my fault. So what, what are the circumstances that I could take responsibility for that led to that thing that happened that night that may not have been my fault, but why was I in the chaos why was I not wearing a helmet well you know because that like all these things it's like how far back do you want to go and I do believe as we dig back like 
we can always in some way take some responsibility for the circumstances that are happening at the time, you know? And so, um, you know, that's really hard for some people to hear, you know? And it's like relationships are always like quite often like that. Sure. Like this person can cheat on us or this or that, but like how far back do you want to go? How are we showing up? What happened even in the early stages of that relationship that led to the circumstance where two years down the track, that person cheats on you, you know, maybe you guys didn't communicate well at the start and you didn't facilitate or make that person comfortable enough to lay the foundations in that relationship to communicate what they needed to communicate that then led to them to cheat on you. Like, like it's like, they're always there's always a way that both you know and it has to be within a relationship there's the other person has to be able to do the same thing as well you know because you're both to blame but you're both to take responsibility because going back to the original part at the start of this conversation is that um, we have to we have to we have to take responsibility for ourselves in a sense of if we want to better ourselves, the only person that's going to be able to do it is ourselves. Yeah, 100%, man. Yeah. And yeah, I 100% agree in in virtually all things. I do say virtually because I believe maybe there some, are some exceptions. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And yeah. there's power in that, as confronting as that is. There's yeah. That. Mm. So I really love that. Yeah. And I'm really keen to, I want to talk to you some more about parkour as well. Yeah, you know, sweet. Love that. That. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you know, yeah. 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 Because I'm keen to tease out, you know, this I love the way that you think very philosophically about things. I know a lot of that comes from your understanding of parkour and the movement side of that thing as well. Yeah. And one of the biggest things that is unique to parkour, not just parkour, but unique when compared to the gym, for example. Yeah. As you have both physically demanding practice, but you also have this relationship building with fear. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'd love for you to talk into a little bit about what that journey was like for you. I mean, I know you started when you were a little bit of a younger kid, yeah. maybe a little bit more cavalier, mm. but I know you also teach people about how to deal and overcome fear as well through parkour or through movement practice. Yeah. So I'd love for you to speak into a little bit about like, how was that journey for you? Mm. What's your process like as well when you're facing down a scary challenge? How mm. do you deal with your fear in your life right now? And move to other people. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, I think that the practice of parkour is a beautiful practice in terms of being developed as a tool for overcoming fear. Mm. Um, I think it's one of those practices where there's no escaping it. Mm. It's a physical practice that forces you to have to deal with things and put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable and can become scary very quickly mm-hmm. and I think it's, it's why I, I have very specifically started to create workshops that are overcoming fear with movement is because in a lot of practices in the modern sort of world we're sort of where we're encouraged to lean away from situations or scenarios that can be dangerous through whatever reason that is. And so what we end up with is this circums, you know, this situation in the world where a lot of people are losing touch with very fundamental, fundamental aspects of what it means to be human, you know, and, and I, I, quite often experience a lot of people that can get to their thirties or forties or, 
or whatever age and, and come to one of my classes and, and not really understand much about their body. And it's, it, it makes me really sad um, because I, I obviously, from a bias standpoint, think one of the biggest beauties in life is, is it's part of my purpose is mastery over the body, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. It's like, but physically, it's a big part of that. 100%. It's the gateway. And um, so parkour, you know, I want to be very um, clear on this is that I don't, I don't believe parkour is the best physical practice because there's so many you know the second you dig into like martial arts and chinese spiritual martial arts and and japanese like there's so there's so many modalities that actually do the same thing sure you know and parkour is one that's kind of popular right now and and you know has resonated with me and hopefully will resonate with so many people listening to this, but you know, pick, pick your modality. But what I love about parkour is, yeah, we deal with fear directly. And from my own practice, you know, I've started to, it starts as this very, um, practical thing where we start low, you know, the, the way to overcome through is overcome fear is exposure. Mm. you know, at least through the way that I teach it. And parkour can be seen as very dangerous because quite often the things that are popular on the internet are the very dangerous things. But, you know, repetition is key for developing progressive overload through physical training or building a bigger jump for parkour. Mm. Um, You know, progressive overload and volume volume can be repetition or adding weight it's the same it's the same fundamental things for parkour Mm. so dealing with fear it's how can we add exposure and progressive overload of fear over time Mm. and the way to do that is to train at what you are currently comfortable at for me i can go five stories up and do a safe jump that that is within my capacity and feel no fear. Hmm. But that wasn't always the case. That's my baseline now. For someone who may never have pushed themselves, the baseline may be the ground. But then through repetition, progressive overload of fear training, then it becomes two blocks on the ground. Hmm. Then it becomes a box. You know, and we could be talking a hundred, it could be a thousand jumps between this. But at some point, what was hard before, from a fear standpoint, will become not as hard. Mm. And it's always just like being on that brink of what's comfortable and what's uncomfortable. But at some point, you need to then go to that next stage. And that's how you end up with, within parkour, being at the, t- the place where I can genuinely say that I've done... 25 story jumps that were not scary at all. Yeah, I've jumped head first across that and I was not feeling any fear, but I didn't start there. Mm. It's progressive overload over time. It's dealing with fear. It's, it's being exposed to fear as much as I could that got me there. The caveat to all of this is that I was a very 
physical fear was okay for me. You know, mm. I became very good at pushing myself physically in places that I was scared of. But I had neglected for a big part of my life the fear of losing relationship, the fear yeah, of... Nice. So what I got out of my physical practice and those learnings, I was then able to... I, I was well-versed and understood that exposure therapy yeah. was a practice. And so I, after my accident which was a motorbike, if I'm not clear enough, a motorbike accident in Thailand, I wasn't wearing a helmet, probably, you know, subdural hematoma, broke both arms, like, yeah. was quite significant. When I got out of that, as I said, right at the start of this conversation, I was very good at getting my body good again, mm. but where I, I probably needed work was, was, you know, there was some friendships that broke down at that time, there was a relationship. Mm. There, they are the things the fear of losing those people, the fear of lack of self-identity, the fear of, you know, I had attachment issues, like all these things, that's where my work was. Yeah. But because I spent so much time doing this parkour stuff, I was able to then very, I was like, okay, I can do this. Transfer the learning, yeah. You know, so I think the takeaway for all of that, you know, is, is parkour, is a great tool and this is what I try and teach in my workshops it's like these people that maybe sometimes are a bit older or sometimes not it's like parkour is a great tool for learning your body and there is a way through you know exposure and training this thing to not be fearful if you're someone who lives in a lot of fear on a daily basis of of um falling over and hurting yourself or you feel like you're putting these situations quite regularly it could be through crossfit it could be through ninja training it could be you know ninja warrior training it could mm -hmm. be all these different modalities if something that shows up for you over and over again is like this fear a fear of height a fear of falling a fear of this and that then parkour is probably something you should look into because mm. if you get the right teacher and you come to the right place we can help you with that um and then this last thing that's really become evident for me with parkour and why I do truly believe it's a great tool and, and that it can benefit a lot of people is there's these studies from, uh, I think 2017 um, in America that were done that talk about, um, you know, it was, it was crazy to hear that like for, for people over 65, the seventh biggest you know cause of death in general is falling mm. um and it's not that you know everyone's over 65's falling and dying but it's a percentage it's it's that cause mo um mortality of people who fall once they're 65 is something crazy like 40 to 50 percent wow so like if you fall at 65 the chances that you're coming out of hospital are like, it's like a 50-50 chance, mm. you know, um, broken hips, broken, you know, pelvis, like these things that once you get to this age, it becomes really hard to heal from. Yeah. And then we know that physical activity is so important. And once you stop that at a certain age, your body just starts to break down. You know, that's why they say like strong legs 
uh, I'll, like if you want to, if there's a couple of things that are an indicator of a long life, it's grip strength and leg strength, mm. you know, cause these things are super important. Um, and the, the longer you maintain them at a certain age, the more likelihood you are of not falling and, and all of these things. Yeah. So I do believe, and this is something that as I start to get older and I'm, I really want to lean into teaching more and the sort of places that I want to go and have conversations with is schools early on because learning to fall from an early age is going to be beneficial for life. Yeah. But then like, where, are, where else can we go to teach people who may not care that are in their 30s and 40s? It's like, hey, why don't we do this workshop about falling? You know, and why don't we spend some time teaching you correct technique or, or exposure to falling in like for fun, bring joy into it, yeah. you know, but let's like do a whole workshop where we like, we fall over lots yeah. where there's no risk of it being fatal, yeah. you know, and start to realize like one of the things I love is like, if I fall upstairs, I, I'm clumsy. I'm quite a clumsy person actually. Um, and I fall upstairs all the time, but one thing that has not happened to me in many, many years since I was a teenager is I've fallen upstairs and hurt, hurt myself. It just doesn't happen to me because my nervous system, my central nervous system knows exactly what to do. I fall, you know, those superhero moments you have, you know, when no one's around in the kitchen and you like open the gate and the salt falls up or the door and, the, and you go boom yeah. and you grab it and you go... Did anyone see that? Like that's my life these days because I've fallen so many times that I just know how to do it now. So how do we get people to that? Yeah. You know, and I think parkour is like one of, if not, I'm going to say it the best way to do that. You know? Um, so, so there's some, some good takeaways. Fear 100%. I, I believe it's like a great way. If you're suffering from physical, fear in your life there's like this uh, this paralysis that you experience mm. sometimes like parkour is a good way to, to overcome that and I, I do believe that's at any age as well I don't believe there's, sure. there's like I think anyone can at their own practice do parkour and then this thing around falling you know and, and, mm. and as we get older I think parkour is another incredible tool for helping people as they age Awesome, dude. Yeah, I really love that. So those kind of two main takeaways in there were like exposure therapy and just little gradual doses of moving up and up and up, staying yeah. within your ability level, but just outside your comfort zone and building that up gradually and gradually. And yeah. over time, that can work up to a 25-story jump. Yeah. And the second thing I think is also really important, I definitely find this in lots of different acrobatics um, pursuits, is being able to fall or to fail safely. Yeah. Like to at least understand that in the beginning you need to be able to make a lot of mistakes mm. and to be okay to do that. If every single time you were to fall over on the concrete, you were going to smash yourself down and break an arm, you're going to be able to do very, very little volume before something really bad happens. And it, it's so funny, you know, it just come to me then as you're talking. It's like, it's, it's, it's my full circle of a journey as well. It's like, um, so much of my early journey, as I said earlier, was about not being able to lose, mm. you know, and, and thinking that winning was the most important thing. And, yeah. and, you know, so, you know, to answer one of those questions early on, it's like, what has Parkour brought to me? It's, it's like learning to, fa to fail, yeah. you know, and, and getting to a point in my life finally where like failing is fun, mm. you know, like in these days, like this beginner mindset, like. I am someone, once again, with stunts that like, you know, I went into stunts, 
you know, for anyone that doesn't know, it takes two years, close to two years to become graded as a stuntman uh, in Australia. So like, you can't just walk on the set and say I'm a stuntman, you have yeah. to go through two years of training. And now, because one of the reasons why I couldn't do it early on and, and I could now is because of this ability or this, this, this joy of learning that mm. I have these days because I went into this room where there was a couple of people, the stunt coordinator I'd worked with a decade ago, so he knew me and there was a couple of people that knew about me because of my parkour. So I was in this room where people had this expectation of a skill mm. level and me to be a certain thing, but then there was wire work and and falling stunt falling and fighting and fighting i sucked at right and once upon a time for me i would have walked in and i wouldn't have been able to put myself out of my comfort zone to to get good at that well now you know i'm i'm not i'm not at martial arts level yet but i will say that i'm over the two years i'm, I'm a decent stunt fighter now and it was the same thing it was like not only was it like, okay, I'm going to put myself out of my comfort zone. It was like, I fucking love this. Yeah. Like nice. it was like my best friend and she is a fighter. And, and so it was every time we were outside of training at the gym, it's like, how can we get better at this? So we'd go into TMC and we'd fight and we look like idiots fucking fighting. And then we would go to a boxing gym and I hadn't done much boxing. And so yeah. I, she's like, okay, you want to learn to fight? Here's every way to learn to fight. Yeah. And it became our fun nice yeah you know and gradually and like that feeling of getting better at something well, i'd been doing parkour for so long sometimes like my room for improvement in parkour now is inches and you don't get the same gratification out of like the improvements i get because a lot of the improvements i get in parkour these days are just things that i notice yeah you know someone watches me do parkour they're like yeah he's good at parkour like they're not going to know if i do an extra half spin or you know but with fighting i sucked two years ago and now like I look good like that's fun you know yeah for so sure. so yeah like yeah i really just wanted to build on top of that of like not only that it's like fear of failure and you know learning to fail it's like that's that's the fun part yeah it, yeah. yeah 100 and i'm like this is another reason why i'm so 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 passionate about people who get into physical practices not just doing some kind of like random exercise thing. yeah but getting into skill training. Yeah, so yeah, you, well, you, that's... You get all of the benefit of the physical attributes, yeah. but you also get this incredibly fucking laundry list of everything else, these mental benefits that transfer into so many different places in your mm. life. Yeah. yeah. I know for myself, exactly the same thing, man, that fear of failure, mm. it would just absolutely cripple me in so many different areas of my life, in my relationships, in my business, yeah. in my purpose, just like everywhere. And so coming up with some kind of practice that you can make it fun, you can create a little arena in which it's okay to fail, yeah. it's desirable to fail, and you can develop a relationship with that and start mm. to overcome that. That is gonna bleed out into so many different areas of your life in a way that I believe conventional gym exercise does not give you that in nearly the same way as something like parkour does. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's so interesting because like something I do think about a lot about you know even places like TMC and 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 the type of people that attracts it's like how do we get people to a point because like we know that like it's it's mm -hmm. obvious for us right but it's not obvious to everyone and that's not of no fault of any that's individual person no. you don't know what you haven't been exposed to and for whatever luck over the years like we get exposed to these things 
you know, we quite often find ourselves in little echo chamber of friendships where like <laughs> we tend to find more people that are more like ourselves. So we're in a self uh, perpetual cycle of validating ideas. And, and, yeah. and so it's just like, how do we break, you know, which is, I imagine what's part of your journey right now. It's like, cause there will be people that come into you sometimes that have maybe never been to a dance class or mm-hmm. never, you know, they're like 20 or 30. And, you know, for me, like quite often I'll go to a, a dance class for fun on a Saturday, you mm-hmm. know, like some people don't live in that world and that's okay. Sure. Yeah. But it's like, I, I can imagine, yeah, a big part of like, how do you introduce that to people sometimes if they come from a very, you know, different background where maybe they have values that are just as cool in a different area of their life, but for whatever reason they haven't found movement as as a a a tool of of growth they're using it for to get big and strong um they're using it to get aesthetic they're using it to to suppress pain or or overcome pain in their life and you say to them um okay we're gonna go and do handstands or we're gonna go and like you know do movement practice and they go you know the jerk Mm. back oh that's weird like how do you communicate that how do you break them through through that i love this question and it's such an important thing as well because unless you're able to tie this you know when you're talking about parkour and you're talking about fear these things are crippling things sometimes Mm. or movement or all of these things unless you have a very very strong why Mm. you're probably not going to see this through yeah and so the first thing that i always do when i sit down with somebody is i want to have a massive conversation with them and understand what it is that they truly want Mm. and what were like their little dreams as a kid or what have they always yeah, yeah. thought about and be like, I would fucking love to be able to do that with my body. Yeah. And some people, I've got a client right now who is like an aerial circus performer. So that's yeah. a complete, like an easy one. She's like, yeah. oh, I get how this is going to, this movement stuff is going to help me with this. Yeah. I work with another dude who's just like a, an older dude and he plays tennis. Yeah. And so to help him understand like, okay, if you're able to move in these certain ways and overcome yeah. X, Y, and Z, you're going to be more effective on the court and you're, you're going to be able to do this. Yeah. If you're able to tie, you can have this conversation with yourself as well. Yeah. But if you're able to tie some kind of thing in this movement practice world to something that you would love to be able to do with your body mm-hmm. that you've always wanted to be able to do, something that inspires you or something like a, and a problem that exists in your life right now, some kind of pain or some kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like if I'm able to endure all of the bullshit that comes with this little movement practice thing, yeah. I'm going to be able to get this thing that deep down I really fucking want. Yeah. I think that's the most important conversation to have with yourself or with a trainer in the beginning yeah. and to be able to tie what it is you do inside of this physical practice yeah. to that outcome. Yeah. And also for your actual practice to actually get you there. Well, yeah. Which yeah. doesn't go without saying, mm. but that is absolutely the first conversation I have. And that's the most important step for me is that yeah. data gathering process. Yeah. Because after that, it's just working backwards. You've got finding out where you are, finding out where you want to go mm. and then all your programming and movement is just a bridge between those two. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a cool process to see. I, I think, you know, I've seen it, you know, being around the TMC community over over many years, you know, it's, it's so so cool to see the journey that some people come through where they're, mm. they're quite, you know, rigid and, and maybe a little bit closed off from from the world for whatever set of circumstances that has led them to there but they've obviously ended up there so there's a calling of wanting to to be more open to yeah. the creative or the joy of movement 
and I just love watching this process of people go through yeah, that, you know, and then six months later you see them again and they're just like radiating in a, in a way, you know, their shoulders are straighter and yeah. they're, 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 they're coming up to you and saying hello and like, oh, and you're like, wow, that's like a full metamorphosis that's gone on there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 100%, you know? Dude. Um, and, and I, I don't think once again that that can't happen in a traditional gym environment. I think every, you know, I think if people are moving and people are, uh, are getting stronger and trying to better themselves, like whatever resonates with you at that time is, is, is perfect for you. Um, but I, I think there, once again, it's like, there's something there about, you know, humans love novelty, humans love to be curious, humans love play. Mm. You know, I think, you know, it comes back to what I was saying earlier. It's about like realizing, and this is what I mean by like, you know, what I said earlier could be misconstrued as like, I just want to be a kid again, but it's not. I feel like I'm coming home because I feel like I can play again. I feel like I have joy. I feel mm. like um, I'm curious in a way that I was when, you know, I've got these two nieces right now. One, she's three and four years old. And she, you know, at the moment she's going through that stage where she just, you know, you say something to her and she just says, why, <laughs> you know, and, and then you say, because this, and she goes, why? And, and I just love that, yeah. you know, nice. at some point in my life, I just stopped asking why, yeah. you know, and, and like, I don't know, there's so much research in neuroscience about neuroplasticity and different learning stages we go through in our life. And it's like, our brains are incredible. Like we can just keep learning forever. You know, it's almost like it's different stages of learning, but it's up until like 70 or 80 years old, like the neuroplasticity in our brain is still taking things in. And you see people so often that just get to this age and they go, oh, I'm done, I'm retired, I'm this, I'm that. And it's like, but why? It's like, what are you going to do now? It's like, why? And then you see these people that are in their 60s and they're vibrant and they're radiant and they're learning yes. and they're changing careers and they're doing a PhD, Estelle from TMC, like... She's, uh, she's just finished, you know, she just finished her, she's not in her sixties or anything, but she's yeah. like, she just doesn't stop, yeah. you know, she's, she's just reworking that over and over again. And it's like, that's, that's what I, you know, yeah, aspire dude. to be, man. Like, I hope Fuck we yeah. can have this conversation again in 20 years yes. and you're like, and I'm like, well, now I'm this yeah. you know, it's like, um, uh, hopefully there'll be some parkour still in there, but like, yeah. it's just like. Yeah, and that excites me. Not, you know, I don't, you know, not having those conversations with, like, I, I do. I just feel so sad sometimes for people who just feel stuck and, and, and don't have this type of uh, community in their life. You know, if it's not TMC and, if, you know, Newcastle, it's like you could be anywhere in the world listening to this. It's like, find that, find that community, find what resonates with you, find what brings you joy, what authentically brings you joy. Don't let anyone else tell you what that is. You know, what it, you know, it might be, it might be temping bowling, it might be gymnastics, it might be art, it might be, you know, some weird, you know, some, some esoteric niche, like anime community, you yeah, know, yeah, like whatever yeah. it is, like bring, find that. Fuck yeah, dude. Find that. Amen. Yeah. yeah. 100% dude, I really love that. And as we kind of start to land this plane a little bit, like I think something that comes up a lot when I used to listen to a million hours of podcasts every single yeah, day, yeah, is yeah. I hear somebody kind of like yourself talking about the things you're talking about. And 
well, question one always come up like, how do I start? Yeah. Because especially when it comes to, let's say, parkour, for example, mm-hmm. you know, there's like a, a sales pitch for parkour about yeah. all the amazing things that we've been able to get out of it. Yeah. But, you know, you walk into a gym and it's it's easy. Like, okay, there's a machine, there's like a little diagram of the dude doing this and then this, and it's kind of easier to know how to start. Yeah. But when you come in and there's an adult to something like moving or especially to something like parkour, where there's yeah. impact, there's danger, there's fear, there's joint conditioning, you're on concrete, there's all these different skills you don't know how to structure a session, like there's all these different questions about how to start. Mm. So what advice would you have for somebody who's in their 20s or 30s or even 40s and they want to start to incorporate maybe a little bit of parkour because they're like, oh, I want to start to develop that relationship with fear and failure. Mm. Let's get really practical and like how, what is the best way for somebody to start to incorporate that into their own session? Yeah, um, I think it's very cool because there's many pathways at this point in time. Parkour is become mature enough that there's usually a good pathway. So my recommendations, if you've listened to this and parkour sounds like something that you want to try, um, I, I would recommend a bit of both. So one is definitely have a Google, find a community slash some, a gym that teaches parkour within your area. I think the physical practice of learning from a teacher, someone who's done the, the sport for, I would look for someone that's 10 years plus, that would be the type of teacher you're looking for. Not a lot of younger guys come through with parkour and they get very excited, they wanna make money and you get these, you know, and they, they teach well in their own way. They get, but you know, they're, they're 17, 18 years old. Yeah. They're really passionate when teach. I, I think, look for someone that's stuck the sport out for 10 years plus. Um, I think it's sound advice. Yeah. Uh, I think if you can find that great, then your online portals. Um, once again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, not all the information online is, is created, you know, <laughs> balanced. Um, I would recommend if it's the very physical practice, a guy named Jason Paul has created on Team Farang, which is company that I helped form. Um, he did this like 45 minute to an hour long, like uh, beginner piece. Mm. That is probably one of the best and in, most in-depth parkour sort of tutorials um, that, that I've seen. Nice. Um, I would definitely go watch that. I'll leave a link to that in the description as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, a very good fundamental program. And I do know that, oh, I don't know if I can talk about this. I. <laughs> I know that Jason's working on something. Nah, he'll be right. Like working on something. I'd look out for that. So go and follow him on social media because he's going to just the Jason Paul on Instagram. He's going to have something available very soon that I think if you really want to start parkour, this is going to be the resource. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to that. Yes. Yeah. And is there any other general advice for people around conditioning, things to watch out for in beginners, yeah. common mistakes that you want to let I actually know. journaled about this yesterday. Um, so awesome. my advice, and this is sort of a bit more like airy-fairy, my type of advice, it's do jumps. Like, go and do the thing. Um, and what I mean by that is we, we can quite often get caught up in, in trying to, to um, learn the right things, mm. learn from the right people, Parkour at its essence is, is about moving your body um, within a, you know, within the urban space, you know, natural space, TMC. 
it's a perspective it's an outlook it's about um you know objects in space you know go and go and climb a wall go and find two things to jump between you know go and um go to a gymnastics gym and throw yourself into the foam pit foam pit um there's all the tools under the sun to get strong you know um if you're having knee problems like go and you know we've got knees over toes guys if you have you know that that stuff's all exists parkour is about going out and doing it it's about getting out there jumping just going over repetition repetition you're gonna build strength you know i've had physios my whole life tell me when you well this is a bit unfair i had a physio tell me that my knees were going to be fucked by the time i was 30 i'm 33 now my knees are fine and my physio now tells me that my knees are better because i did parkour (laughs) um you know shout out to was but he looked at an mri at my scan my knees two years ago he's like they look fucking great and it's i would say it's because you've done parkour um so my advice is don't be scared get out there parkour is a self-practice if you want to find stuff online it's there look at jason paul um he's probably the best find a 10 year plus practitioner if you really want to have a let um someone to teach you but just go and do it yeah yeah what are you waiting for that's my advice <laughs> get out there and be yeah, somebody yeah. No, I really love that advice because I've certainly fallen into the trap in my younger years of yeah. trying to be the armchair philosopher of like physical practices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as much as some of that definitely set me up for good intellectual understandings and yeah. to be able to teach, but if you want to do it, yeah, you got to fucking do it, man. Yeah. There's, and there's only so much that you can learn, even from a podcast like this, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Because there's got to be that embodied kinesthetic learning that happens whenever you want to do anything. And these 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 podcasts should only ever be a touch point to go well, and inspire If you haven't worked action. it out by now, like I don't love to give absolute advice. That's like, yeah. I can just, you know, it's that don't mistake <laughs> the finger for the moon. Like I can yes. point you in the right direction. Um, you know, but you know, I like to, to, to get, share my experience, share the things that I've learned. But at the end of the day, like just get out there and do it. Yeah. Like, and that's like, I think that's takeaway. That's good, good advice for life. Yeah, you know, it's like just do it. Like we, 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 um, we have we we really just have the present moment and 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 these things that we want to do. Like we can wait, we can wait. But parkour is free. Parkour, mm. just you know, you can do it barefoot if you really want to. Uh, if you're listening to this, you could probably go and 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 walk out onto the street that you live in and go and do parkour. So yeah. just freaking do that. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I love that. And yeah, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you as well is because one of the things that I think is stands parkour apart from other things as yeah. well, other physical disciplines, yeah. is the culture. Yeah, yeah, cool. And I would love to hear your thoughts on like what could other physical disciplines, you know, whether it's like the gym culture or really any kind of like physical culture as you see it in the modern world right now, as mm. well, CrossFit and F45, like what could those institutions learn from the culture of parkour yeah um that's really cool that that's one of your takeaways um of course parkour has its has its problems within the community um i think what what other disciplines could take away from uh from parkour is i believe what parkour does well, um, opposed to some 
sort of. Oh, it's, 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 that's a bit unfair because it's more extreme sports because it, it quite often um, gets put into the category um, of, of extreme sports. So if it's more so, you know, gymnastics and right. it, I mean, if it's more so like other physical disciplines being mm-hmm. um, CrossFit and stuff like that, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think the fact that we have a deep philosophy um, mm. and we're deeply rooted within that, uh, as much as it sways from that, it's kind of always a reference point for us to, no, you know, there is, there is, there is a solid philosophy to sort of build those foundations on. I think that we, we allow healthy debate about things like competition you know Mm, it's not certain within the sport whether there's a consensus on whether um within that that if park or competition is a good thing or a bad thing Mm. and as the sport's developing it's it's not as hard to talk about those things either um and so there's a healthy debate Mm, nice you know i think because we don't have a lot of gatekeepers Mm. um the sport is there's room for the sport to grow and become what it needs to become Mm. um there are people that have tried to do that the gatekeeper and i think it's because of our online nature of the sport from early on there was no one that was able to claim ownership over the sport where you have things like CrossFit where there's like a founder and there's this and there's that. What parkour really is, is our sport. Mm. And when David Bell tried to come back a couple of years ago and say, hey, this is mine, everyone said, fuck you. You know, so there's no single entity, which is why we're having problems with the Gymnastics Federation right now. Once again, they with David Bell trying to say, we own the sport. And so we're kind of, because of our rebellious net, we've borrowed enough from skateboarding with the like real like street culture Mm. but we we don't get as caught in some of the negative lifestyle aspects of skateboarding so we've got like that that street rebellious middle finger culture but then there's also this altruistic side of parkour about better better fitting yourself and like health and fitness so we kind of we're kind of like punk fitness you know what i mean like like yeah Yeah. and, and so um, I think it is that like we're not owned by anyone mm. you know we don't have that that governing body that, that dictates it like yeah. and I think what my team along with teams like Storos or Team Farang and I think like you know we're not going to cl- make claim of it but like it was us coming up at the time that we did that really solidified that like fuck you no one's going to like control yeah. us like Parkour was moving towards that early on where a couple of organizations were trying to sort of make themselves the the figureheads of the sport and we came along and just like ripped it apart yeah. and said, nah, fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah. Like no one owns us. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we yeah, had like that punk fitness type <laughs> uh, take on it where there's no establishment is, is being really beneficial for our sport. Will that have to change? Well, yeah, if like we want to be taken more serious for competitions and sponsorships and that maybe there'll need to be adjustments but i believe the right way to do that is is to make sure that once again anyone that's been around the sport for a long time like this this arbitrary like 10 year thing that i've said it's like have you have you been around long enough to like like and if you you have it's like they're the people that should go into the committees of, of the mm. big you know it's yeah. like 
But that's like, I haven't thought about that too well, so uh, I don't even know if that's a solution. But yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, man, 100%. I've really enjoyed, yeah, just listening to your perspectives on both the philosophical and the physical aspects of your journey. Yeah, Uh, I think it's going to be heaps of value in this as well. So if people want to kind of go and check out more what you're up to, yeah. what projects you got going on, stuff like that, where's the best place for them to go and check Yeah, out? I think mainly just Instagram um, at this point in time. Uh, that's where it's kind of my personal blog, um, my training and and my my life. Uh, I've got some, some good plans to develop, you know, other platforms in the next couple of years. I, d- I definitely want to start contributing to YouTube again mm. in the future. Um, it's just a timing thing. So... Yeah. Maybe, yeah, Sean Wood on either of those platforms, S-H-A-U-N. Um, yeah, check it out there. That's where I would post most of my stuff. Sick, dude. Yeah. Man, this has been so much fun. Thanks for coming on, bro. Yeah, thank you. Boom. Go. That's a wrap, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it and got something out of it, as always. And if you want to learn more about what Sean Wood does, you want to follow along on his journey, see what's coming next in the stuntman, check out some of his stunt reels, you can check him out on Instagram at Sean Wood. That's S-H-A-U-N-W-O-O-D. And as always, guys, if you want to learn more about skill-based strength training, learning core strength skills to build the body that you want, but also connect more deeply with your body and learn more about how to train for the strength and the longevity and the mobility aspects that you're just not getting from your regular gym practice, you can head over to whitebelt.com slash train, that's W-H-Y-T-B-E-L-T.com slash train and check more out about my one-to-one skill-based strength coaching program that can be done anywhere in the world, any amount of equipment, go check it out. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys, and I'll see you in the next episode.